Welcome to this Christmas edition of the Robert Hunt Financial Market Update. It's your host, Robert Hunt, where we look at the week's financial news that can be a bit confusing, misleading, and take us off course when we make it actionable, understandable, and clear. Got a great show for you as the cool, cold winter winds are blowing in from the north. Nothing stops us here. The show goes on. Great show at the top here. We're going to discuss three things and then a listener question. So we're going to look at movie star John Wayne. I'll explain who that was from a Gen Z folk. Uh, big movie star in his financial troubles. There's an article, I, there's information I didn't know about. And then Jason Zwig, one of my favorite Wall Street Journal journalists, talks about our hindsight bias. Do we actually think too much of ourselves as investors? Do we actually ourselves accountable to our various guesses throughout the year. And then a CNBC article headline, 21% of investors don't think they pay investing-related fees. And this that article is just chock full of uh, oopsies that I want us to look at. And then at the end, if we've got the time, we have a listener question that I'm looking forward to getting to. Let's start here at the top, John Wayne. Okay, so most of y'all know who John Wayne, Mr. John Wayne from the hit famous, famous movie star in our family. We've watched The Alamo. It's probably one of our favorite performances. But Mr. Dave Lieber in this December 16th article in the Dallas Morning News walks through John Wayne's financial life. So Wayne, as you know, is a very successful movie star and he elected to trust folks with his money. So Wayne, the article explains, during World War II, Wayne hired Bo Ruse to be his business manager. Quote, with his hair slicked straight back, his mouth full of straight white teeth, and his perfect tan, Ruse was pure Hollywood. The husky blue-eyed man whose name was pronounced Boo was, a, was quick to smile and make a new friend. He gave off the aura of a European aristocrat. His car contained one of the very first mobile phones. Huh. Okay. So this can happen to us all. John Wayne probably picked up on some of this and thought, wow, this person certainly appears successful. Very nice car. Well-groomed. They don't mention it, but I'm sure very nice clothes. And his clients. Here we go. His clients included, these are stars you and I don't know, Joan Crawford, the Andrews sister, and Marlene Dietrich. Okay. I don't know them. But at the time, I'm sure they were stars, and they all recommended this guy. Straight teeth, European tan guy. This advisor once said, I've been called a gambler. I'm only good for the client who wants action for his money. So there are two strikes already against this guy. One, obsession with appearance. This financial advisor that Wayne hired, obsessed with appearances. Also, Wayne hired this person based on recommendations. Now that that's an easy thing to do, but it's really not something you can rely on with financial advice, sadly. And I, I love recommendations to me, but oftentimes I just, I'm just glad um, that folks were able to sidestep what could be very bad recommendations. And then you heard his philosophy of investment. You need to find an advisor whose philosophy of investment is sound. This advisor said, I've been called a gambler. I'm only good for the client who wants action for his money. Eh, investing should be boring. Any advisor who tells you this is going to be really exciting, buckle up, run, don't walk, run away. So 
Wayne loses his fortune twice. First time he loses his fortune, no surprises to this guy, this bow guy, this this hot shot looking guy who just totally, you know, basically John Wayne had to send in his trusted secretary into this guy's office to shake him down to later admit, how much money do I have? And he said, uh, you've got nothing. So the entirety of John Wayne's earnings to that point had been totally zeroed out. All because, all because, and it's easy to blame this charlatan of sorts, this bow, but all because Wayne took the easy road. John Wayne didn't want to do his own mind work, as the great Charlotte Mason compels us to do. He wanted to outsource. Hey, who do I know who uses them? Oh, this guy looks good. Hey, cool mobile phone in your car, buddy. You're signed up. Optics. He used optics. He didn't, he didn't take the hard road. Don't do that. Be willing to do your own mind work before you hire somebody. So, that's the first time. Second time, what happens? Wayne wanted a manager he could trust this time. He decided to go with his son-in-law, Don LaCava. Hmm. This job was to invest conservatively and don't lose money. All right. So John Wayne loved the Neiman Marcus in Dallas, downtown. And this, what it says is, you know, he went in, spent a bunch of money when the bill came. The son-in-law says, whoa, whoa, you spent all this money. What are you doing? And John Wayne's thinking, well, I'm worth millions. Like he had given his son-in-law millions of dollars. There, there's, this is no problem. There's 30 grand at Neiman Markets. There's a lot of money, but for someone with millions of dollars, no problem. Uh, what did LaCava do? The son-in-law invested in bad real estate, dry oil wells, and more. So Wayne had to fire him. Uh, so it happened again. So with both men, the, the article says the number one movie star didn't check his financial statements, schedule in-person meetings, and personally inspect investments. Do you, it says. Do you. Do I. So the lessons here are even, you know, the son-in-law. How trusted could a son-in-law be? Surely he's got your best interests at stake. Surely he could want what's best for you. And he didn't have the competence. So you, you've got to have someone who's competent and trustworthy. And then, this is the hard part, this is where most fail. You've got to do your own mind work. You have to have your own philosophy of investment even before you hire a financial advisor. It's not enough. It's not like going to a dentist where there's a pretty good chance the dentist will know what they're doing. It's nice to do your homework, but and you've got to be careful there too, but with a financial advisor, you, there is such a broad array of what's considered orthodox financial advice and behavior, most of which is garbage. You cannot do what John Wayne did. So we are no better than John Wayne. Don't think that. Oh, I'm sharper than John Wayne. No, I don't think so. I think, I think what John did is what a lot of us can be tempted to do. We just want to, we don't want to bear the burden of, of investing and managing the money. We don't want to put our name on the dotted line, but that's the only way to do it. You can always outsource some functions, meaning you can always find a financial advisor to help walk alongside you, but you've got to, that, that it can't be a, a complete outsourcing. It's got to be a, a partial outsourcing. You've got to be doing it in concert with it. You'll be walking with the advisor. It should feel like work. It's like going into the gym and, and the, uh, the trainer does all the reps for you. Don't do that. When you meet with your financial advisor, it should feel like work. You, you should kind of, at the end of it, feel like, okay, wow, that, that was fun. That was good. But man, that, I worked there. That means you're, that's good. That means you know what you're doing. Let's not be lazy. And our next article, Wall Street Journal. One of my favorites, Jason Zwig. Mirror, mirror on the wall. Who knew that stocks would fall? 
soaring inflation, tumbling stocks, and the cratering of crypto. If you think you knew all that was going to happen a year ago, you're fooling yourself. Jason writes, two of the most painful words in investing are if only. If only you'd listened to that voice in your head that told you inflation would shatter all modern records and energy stocks would surge. If only when you just knew the Federal Reserve would jack up interest rates, you'd bail out of your bond funds and dump that cryptocurrency bet. If only you'd act on your hunch that technology stocks were overpriced and ditched them before they tanked. I see this all the time with myself and with others. What Jason is highlighting, and he has got the data to show it, you'll see is we have this narrative in our head that we are great prognosticators because we forget our bad bets and only remember our good ones. So what Jason does is he actually makes readers write down their bets. Every year he does this. Or maybe not every year. He has for the last couple of years. He has an annual exercise called the Hindsight Bias Buster. So a year ago, he asked subscribers to forecast as of December 31, 2022, the Dow Jones the S&P 500, the 10-year treasury, the rate of inflation, the price of Bitcoin, the price of gold, the price of crude oil, the best performing financial asset. And then earlier this month, in December, he says, all right, guys, go back. This is without telling them. What were your predictions? He didn't tell them. He's making them go back and try to recall their predictions. And wouldn't you know it, everyone predicted that they made really good guesses. But when he showed them their actual guesses, they were way off. They were way off. He highlights various people, a retired chimney sweep, an engineer in the oil and gas industry, a tech guy, and all these folks thought they had better guesses than they had. They thought they had made good forecast when he goes back and shows them and they say, uh, here's one of the quotes, wow, wow, <laughs> said Mr. Jones when I, when, he read, when I read him his original responses. Obviously, my assessment of the stock market at the time was largely influenced by what it had been doing up to that point, he said, and now I'm fitting my past projections to the current set of data. It's so interesting to see how my thinking is influenced by what has happened since then. Yeah, I think we all do this. So I'd encourage you, if you want to do this, try it. Get out a pen and paper and write down your predictions for 2023 December on where various indices will fall and how the market will do, what treasury will do, what inflation will do. What you'll find is this is a very, very difficult game. And we can deceive ourselves into thinking we're much better at it than we are. And that's what's going to start influencing you to make bad bets. So you'll trick yourself into thinking, oh, I know all these professional investors can't do much to beat the index, but I can. Because I remember thinking oil would go up a lot and then down. I remember thinking inflation could go up a lot. And I was right. See, I was right. But go back, go back and try the data and you'll see we're not good at this. Human beings, we cannot predict the future. Nor should we bet money on those various predictions. And the greatest way to convince ourselves that we actually don't know what we're doing is to write it down. Make a record. Hold yourself accountable. Great article by Zwig. And then a CNBC article. 21% of investors don't think they pay investing-related fees. Here's why you're wrong and how it costs them. So this article kind of bothers me. They have some industry quotes that aren't, in my opinion, totally transparent and forthcoming. But... I think what the article does highlight correctly is that there is a incredible, incredible movement within the financial services and product industry for you not to know what you're paying. And what has Robert Hunt discovered? I have never found anyone who's come from kind of a, a traditional financial services firm or advisory relationship who's been able to tell me what they were paying for those services. That is a problem. So CNBC says 21% of investors don't think they pay investing-related fees. You know, that's, that's a pretty, you, these surveys, 
I, you know, people know they're paying something, they just don't know what. I, I kind of say, what's the difference? You know, so these people maybe are the most naive. Okay, I, I can I can empathize with them though they don't cut a check for these services. It just happens in the background. But m- most people they don't know what they're paying, and the effect is the same. So, and how why does that occur? So let's say you go to a big bank, big wealth manager, you hand them your million dollars or your 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 ten million dollars or your hundred thousand dollars, and you say, here, manage it for me. They're not going to charge you in the same way that. McDonald's or Apple or Ford will charge you when you buy a product from them. They will actually, because you've given them your money, you've given them custody of your assets, they're going to slowly drip, 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 just take that money out of the fees that are expressed as a percentage and given to you on page five in small print. So you don't know what you pay. That's a huge problem. That's what keeps people in really bad spots. Not thinking you pay anything at all is a little worse, but... I suspect it's the same thing practically. So um, the director of personal finance at Morningstar, Morningstar is a group that I don't have a high degree of trust in, but they can sometimes have information that's useful. Christine Ben says it's relatively frictionless. We're not conducting a transaction to pay for those services. Okay, that's right. And that makes you much less sensitive to, to the fees you're paying in amount and whether you're paying fees at all. Yep. What I think should happen, if I was king for a day, when you buy cigarettes in the United States, there is a label on it that says, these will kill you. I wish financial products had a label that just said, and they're getting a little closer, but I wish financial advisors would as well. Each year you get a letter from your financial advisor saying exactly what you paid all in, everything. Product fees, advice fees, everything. It'll, it'll probably never happen because a fox is guarding the hen house. When you look at who's in charge. Oftentimes it's industry folk. And they know this would be disastrous for their business if people actually started to learn what they paid. But something like that should occur. I also, again, king for the day, uh, if you let me, I would put, and someone were to try to sell an actively managed mutual fund, I had someone tell me someone was pitching them actively managed mutual funds and they were they were believing it, that these, folk, these funds could do better than the index fund. I I want to put a label that says 95% of these active funds will fail to beat the index over a 15-year period. Let, let, let the consumer read that and then click the button. Because I, most consumers do not know that. Moreover, most consumers do not know what they pay. So the disclosure are wanting in the financial services and product business, and the regulators ain't coming for you. They're, they're, I, I think there are some well-intentioned folks, but unfortunately, I think the industry is a little too entrenched it's getting better, though. It's certainly getting better. Fees are dropping. The article explains that fees used to be really high, and now they're not so high. And then I have a quote in this article I didn't like that I want to... We're going to take our thoughts captive. One of the Morningstar folks says, Bins recommends 0.50% as a good upper threshold for fees. It may make sense to pay more for a specialized fund or a small fund that must charge... More each year due to smaller economies of scale, Ben said. Okay, that lets you know the rot that's occurring at Morningstar. So oftentimes I, people send me, hey, Morningstar rated this five-star fund and it did great. You know, the vast majority of the underpinning of their philosophy of investment is, is wrong. So when Ben's, who's in charge of their personal finance division, says 0.50% is a good upper threshold for fees, it's so, oh, wait, let's do our mind work. That's about 25 times or 20 times more expensive than what you should be paying. But they say it's a good thing because they. But what do you have to believe? You have to believe that paying these higher fees it somehow 
helps you. And it does not. So be willing to ask the question, what do I pay for these fees? And then we've got our listener question. That's right, folks. You can, you are able to ask listener questions here at the Robin Financial Market Update. Listener question pipes in, why is there typically a negative correlation between stock prices and bond prices? Good question from a good listener. Well, as you may be aware, this year was the exception where stock and bond prices dropped together. It's a pretty rare occurrence. But why normally, as the question portends, why normally is there an inverse correlation? What does that mean, inverse correlation? It means when something goes up, the other goes down. Kind of that yin and yang. So the correlation is typically stocks go up, bonds would go down. Bonds would go up, stocks would go down. That would be the idea behind diversification. That's the premise behind the 60-40, 60% stock, 40% bond portfolio as it smooths out the ride for investors. But why is that? Well, think about it this way. Let's say you had a friend, Mr. Bond. Not James Bond, of course, but just Mr. Bond, like Bond, fixed income Bond. And he made you promises. He said, Robert, I promise you, I will pay you this amount every year for the next 10 years. Oh, all right. Thanks, Mr. Bond. Then you had a friend, Mr. Stock. And he, he, he said, Robert, if things go well, the economy goes well, this business goes well, earnings grow, I may return capital to you via a dividend or a share buyback or just an increased value of the enterprise. I'll reinvest the proceeds. So, so one, you have a hope with stocks. You kind of hope it works out. Bonds, more of a promise. So when the economy is hot and things are going good, what's happening typically? Typically, Mr. Stock, oh man, you're delighted you put money with him because you know that you, you actually have a lot of upside there. You could make more money. Maybe you get more dividends, more share, share purchases. The enterprise value increases because the economy is hot, hot, hot. Well, that's good. Well, what, what, what could be happening with bonds in that moment? Oh, fuddy-duddy bonds. That's just a promise. It's, it, he's just paying me a fixed amount every year for 10 years. I, I got I to gotta do more with my money. So all of a sudden, more people want to put money with Mr. Stock than Mr. Bond. What happens when the economy crashes? Let's go back to 1929. That promise is incredibly valuable that Mr. Bond made to you because the economy is crashing, earnings are decreasing. People are not making money. But you've got this promise from Mr. Bond that he will pay you every year no matter what, unless a bankruptcy occurs. So he's contractually obligated to pay you. Mr. Bond is Mr. Stock, man. He may not contract anything. It just It's a hope. It's a wish. It's a dream. So that's why in bad economic times, those bonds are, are valuable to folks. And, and great economic times, man, people love those stocks. And the bonds aren't quite exciting. Now, what happened this year? Well, inflation. And, and I'm speaking in gross generalities. Of course, there are all sorts of nuance to this that you could, <clears throat> we could speak on this for hours. But when inflation cranks up, uh-oh, Federal Reserve feels like they need to tamp down inflation. So what they do this year, they raise interest rate. That makes bond values go down. And oh, oh by the way, what happened? Uh-oh, we were fearful of inflation. And when those bond rates go up, that makes stocks worth less as well. So this is a weird year where the Federal Reserve was kind of in the driver's seat and everything went down. But that's that correlation, listener. That's why there's this negative correlation. It's just, well, what, you know, what do you want to own when? And I, I, I think for most investors, you are well served to have, unless you're, every situation is unique, talk to your financial advisor. But it's nice to have those promises in the storm called bonds because it keeps you in the game. And it's nice to have those stocks in the great times because it, 
it makes you feel like you're playing offense and doing well. So that's that's your financial update. As always, keep those costs low. Keep that investing simple. Keep that time rising long. And we have a special gift for you. This 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 podcast that hunt children will sing you off. Merry Christmas to you, and a silent night. Sad. Please.